The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Greetings, One Fellowship family and friends. Pastor Paul here, and I am so excited to begin a new series with you today. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of my message today is A Life of Love. And I'd like to begin by asking this question. Has rushing through life ever cost you in life? 
One thing Carly and I have always tried to do is pass along our love for the outdoors to our kids. This means as a family, we've done a lot of swimming in rivers, hiking in mountains, and biking on trails. Living in New England 10 years ago, I still remember those cool fall mornings where we loaded up the kids and we went to find beautiful settings with fall foliage in front of us in mugs filled with hot cocoa or coffee to warm us. When we'd get to the trail, we'd throw Sailor in one of those baby backpacks. Any of you have one of those baby backpacks? And so she'd have a second story view as we'd hike. Similarly, I remember when we first bought our kids bicycles. They would go up and down our driveway over and over again saying, look at me, mom, look at me, dad. And they would grow more and more confident with each pass. At the time in New England, we lived near something called the Stanford Nature Center, which was about a half mile away, and it had um, otters and pigs and cows, and it also had this playground like a fort built into the woods, and we'd go explore and have fun together. Sometimes we would uh, walk there, other times we would drive there. And I'll never forget the day when Blaze said he was ready to bicycle there. And I have a picture of Blaze here for us to look at today. Look how intense and focused he was back in that time. So now, if you've ever been to Southern Connecticut, you'll know that there are rolling hills and big forests everywhere, right? And so it was in our neighborhood. And uh, I remember giving Blaze and our kids these instructions. Stay behind me or beside me the whole time as you bike. And you know, we made it to the nature center without any trouble that morning. But you can guess where this is going. On the way home, things took a turn for the worse. About halfway home from our excursion, Blaze raced right by me and in front of me on his little bicycle. I remember screaming, Blaze, slow down. You see, Blaze failed to remember that right around the corner, there was a steep drop, a steep hill. And before you know it, it was just all too late. Handlebars shaking, bike wobbling. Blaze kept going faster and faster in front of me until he lost all control. His crash was hard, it was bloody, and it was costly. The poor guy learned a valuable lesson that day. As we lived through this pandemic and began this new sermon series, I can't help but think of that story. For many of us, going into the pandemic, the speed of life had become out of control. White knuckling each day, we were just trying to make it to the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the quarter so we could just catch our breath and slow down a little, right? Right? 
I know this was true for our family. Between trying to fit in a devotional in a workout before work to attempting to juggle multiple tasks with multiple teams at work, to rushing kids in every direction around the city after work, to then somehow eating and eking out just a little bit of quality time with my bride before a night of shut-eye, our schedule showed we had a serious problem. And our bodies and souls knew it too. How about you? Has rushing through life ever cost you in life? As a boy or a girl, man or woman, husband or wife, mom or dad, son or daughter, friend or colleague? Have you lived in such a way that you're hyperactive and overscheduled to where you're exhausted down to the marrow of your bones. Over the next five weeks, we're gonna do something we've never done before. We're gonna actually preach through a recently printed book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, coupled with stories from the Gospels, and we are going to rediscover the way of Jesus. My hope is that through this sermon series and actually through this pandemic, we will allow God to reset our lives, to not only believe in Jesus, but to actually follow Jesus and in so doing, recover our lives. So if you have yet to do so, please go ahead and buy this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and begin reading it. And moreover, I invite you to join me praying afresh to God, here I am. So as we get started in our series today, and we look at Mark chapter 5, in the beginning of John Mark Comer's book, here's the big takeaway I'd like us to see today. As followers of Jesus, a life of speed is incompatible with a life of love. Let me repeat that. As followers of Jesus, a life of speed is incompatible with a life of love. And we're gonna break down this truth through two points today. Point one, treasure people. A life of love treasures people. Our passage begins, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jairus, a leader in the synagogue, a leader of society, was facing unspeakable pain. As we learn from Luke 8 in our passage today, the daughter was about 12 years old and she was his only child. Yet that bright light was about to go out. 
Just the thought of the loss of a child is jolting, isn't it? Let alone the reality of it. And while Jairus was the leader to whom people would usually bow, in a twist of irony, he's the one who's actually bowing at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he's desperate. And Jesus sees his desperation and he begins to go with him only to be interrupted. Our passage continues. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. You see, a nameless woman who had lived with unspeakable pain reaches desperately out to touch Jesus. If you think social distancing is bad over a period of several months, Try living with it for 12 years. According to Leviticus 15 and chapter 20, because of her hemorrhaging for years on end, this woman would have been seen as unfit for marriage and worship in the synagogue or the temple. She was surely poor, surely ostracized, and all alone. And just like the wealthy leader's daughter, her hope too was fading. In the words of one theologian, here we see two desperate representations of society. One rich, the other poor. One accepted, the other outcast. One familial, the other alone. Both beyond natural help. For 12 years, the girl and the woman had led such different lives, but now adversity had bound their souls unaware together, and they were both to be recipients of God's life-giving power. Jesus treasures both. Jesus treasures people, all people. He treasures you right now. No matter your name, no matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your resume, no matter your country of origin, no matter your social standing, you are loved by Jesus. Jesus treasures people. And for all who follow him, we are to do the same. How? This leads me to point two. We are to treasure time. A life of love treasures time. Continuing our passage, she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you and against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and she fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Just imagine the scene, if you will. First, Jairus lays not only his pain, but his reputation at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus begins to go away with him. And then out of nowhere, a woman grabs the cloak of Jesus, seeking not only a miracle from God, but the grace of God. And what does Jesus do? He stops everything. And in affection, gives her his time. Might it be that the most precious commodity in the economy of love is time? In the words of Pastor Nikki Lee, time is oxygen for relationship. And here in our passage, it's as though Jesus stops and breathes new life into two pain-stricken souls, not just for their sake, but also ours. You see, a life of love treasures time, not wasting it, but gifting it as the currency of love. Amazingly, Jesus heals the woman, not only physically, but spiritually and socially. She no longer would be a reject. She would be part of the people. She would be part of the family of God. And yes, Jesus ends up healing the little girl too with the same force that calmed the raging seas and the same love that fed the 5,000. Jesus says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl or little lamb. I say to you, get up. And she is raised from the dead. Two totally different people, both healed by Jesus as he offers them his affection and his time. Isn't that moving? And yet, isn't that convicting? Here's what I mean. Would you and I have stopped to let not one, but two pain-stricken individuals Two strangers interrupt our day. If we're honest, most likely the answer is no. Why? Not because we don't care, although that might be true for some of us, but because we simply wouldn't have had the time, would we? We are simply too busy. We're simply too preoccupied. And this is where our book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, presents its bite. Did you know that the average smartphone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day? According to recent research published in Business Insider, logging over 76 sessions spending about two and a half hours a day on their phone. And did you know that daily smartphone usage jumps 
to nearly twice as much for many millennials? Moreover, did you know that the average American devotes 705 hours to social media each year and 2,737 hours to television? Just imagine giving even half of our time spent in front of our screens to walking with God and caring for people. I knew our family had a problem with busyness and overcommitment when two years ago, we had 47 youth basketball games scheduled in the months of January and February alone some hours away and some on Sundays. And oh, this didn't even include the practices for our three kids between the games. Crazy making, right? In the words of Corey Tinboom, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And as John Mark Comer writes in his book, read the Bible. Satan doesn't show up as a demon with a pitchfork and a gravelly smoker voice or as Will Ferrell with an electric guitar and fire on Saturday Night Live. He's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. Today, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office, or another soccer game on a Sunday, or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. That's why Pastor John Ortberg, in writing about the epidemic of hurry, says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Can you relate to being distracted, rushed, and preoccupied in your life? Are you ready to stop pedaling in front of Jesus in a life of speed like Blaze raced in front of me back in Connecticut 10 years ago? Perhaps you've been going fast, thinking that's the only way to be successful. Perhaps you've been going fast, thinking that's the only way to be likable. Perhaps you've been going fast, thinking that's the only way to be faithful. Listen to this invitation from Matthew chapter 11 from the message Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but that invitation from Jesus is exactly what I need. 
as followers of Jesus, a life of speed is incompatible with a life of love. As we close this part in our service, today I invite you to take two next steps. First is confess. Confess your life of speed. The ways you've chosen to be hurried over being present, both with God and others. Ask Jesus for forgiveness in a total reset of your schedule and your priorities. And then two, commit. Commit to a life of love. Ask Jesus to grow you and guide you over the next several weeks with us. To treasure people and to treasure time. To not just believe in Jesus, but to actually follow in his footsteps. For our rest and for his glory, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and know us in any way that causes us to turn from you, that we would confess that to you. God, we confess our life of speed. We bring before you our busyness, our hurriedness, our overcommitments. We lay them before you and we say we're sorry. For all the times we neglect, neglected you and, and those you've put around us, we know we're called to love you and love our neighbors. So God, forgive us in the name of Jesus. And God, we commit. We commit to listening for you and following you. Would you lead us afresh and anew, realign our lives? to not get in front of you, but to get behind you. And in so doing, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. For our rest and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>